What's up, my brothers and sisters? Welcome to the Fireground Fitness Podcast, where we talk about all things pertaining to life on and off the fireground. My guest today is Deputy Chief Rita Riddle-Bigler. She is the first female shift commander with the city of Phoenix. She's a former All-American volleyball player. She is a coach. She's an all-around fantastic human being. Uh, we talk about all those things and so much more. Please enjoy. So, Rita, welcome to the Fireground Fitness Podcast. Uh, thank you so much for sitting down with me. And uh, every time you and I have a, an opportunity to sit and chat, I, I come away uh, better for it and, and smarter and more intelligent. And, uh, um, and so thank you well, for, thank you. <laughs> for sharing your time. Um, and uh, so I want to talk about I want to talk about a lot of things, actually. I have a, a whole lot of questions for you. Um, so, but let's just jump off with who is Rita? And where did you get your start? Um, why? How did you become a firefighter? That kind of stuff. How'd you get here? Well, gosh. So let's circle back. I'm gonna hit 21 years here in 2022. Nice. Um, I did not grow up wanting to be a firefighter. As a matter of fact, my my story for entering this profession is that I was a high school and club volleyball coach, and it was club season. We were practicing at Deer Valley High School, and at Deer Valley, if you're familiar with that gym, you know, it's got an upper balcony, and so I was up there watching my kids scrimmage in the gym, and uh, Engine 36 come, comes in there because they've two of the guys on that truck that day had girls that were playing. They're like, well, hey, let's go over and watch them practice. So they come in, um, engineer walks up, uh, and the firefighter in the back, and they're just ch- small talk with me and, you know, conversating, and they both looked at me, and they said, have you ever thought about being a firefighter? And I said, no, no, as a matter of fact, no. And they actually like look, gave me the look up and down and said, well, <laughs> I mean, it, you look like you can do this job. And if we have to have girls on the job, it might as well be someone that can do it. And I, I kind of side-eyed him and thought, was that a compliment or an insult? <laughs> um, brushed that off, didn't think anything of it. Had Went home and was telling my, telling my dad that, well, my dad happened to play golf and hang out with a bunch of firemen and um, I had graduated from college and so forth. So when I actually thought like, hey, I really want to go check this out, went on my first ride along um, at, in Glendale, Station 154, because all of those guys, those firemen worked out at LA Fitness and then made my way into Station 25 um, with LB Bashong. Um, actually, Susie Fawcett was the booter. And so I went and rode out there and that was kind of the, I think this is for me. And I remember telling my dad, like, I'm going to do this career and he he too looked at me and said, whoa, 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 you're educated. You, are you looking for a husband? He thought that's what he asked me, you know? So, uh, that's how it all started for me. Um, then I started pursuing the profession and learning about it and realizing that so much of what I had been doing prior, I was 28 when I got hired. Um, so I'd graduated college. I was a coach. I had a job. I wasn't married. i still lived at home. I mean, just working for the family business and, I liked what I did, but I can, in hindsight, it was never completely fulfilling. Hmm. So like this job. What, what, um, didn't you get your degree in like public administration or something like that? I did. So what prompted that? So you went to, uh, went to college in in New Mexico, right? Yeah. So I was, so I was, a. am from here. I'm a native. I'm from here. Um, went to GCC, um, played volleyball, ran track. Um, I was a three sport athlete my whole life. I didn't go on to play softball. And then I got a scholarship to Western New Mexico to play volleyball and run track. Um, got my degree in public administration. Um, for no other reason, I'll be honest, as a college athlete, I, 
I picked a degree because I had to pick a degree. <laughs> I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So um, that that aligned with the family business. You know, we own Mexican restaurants, and I thought, well, I'll just run the businesses. And I always had this dream to own like a big training facility. Hmm. So that's where I was headed with my degree. Oh, okay. Interesting. What what what, what did you run in track? I was a hiptathlete. Oh, fun. Seven events. and what, what are those seven events? Uh, so 100-meter hurdles, high jump, long jump, javelin, shot put, 200-meter, 800-meter. You do it over the course of two days. Right. You know, four events one day, three events the next day. Right. Um, I, was, I was fast and I could jump. I was terrible at high jump. I couldn't. Well, you're not a very tall person. No. Well, so here's an interesting, as I, as I was thinking about our interview, I thought, what's an interesting fact that people don't know? <laughs> I, was a, I was an All-American in volleyball. I was an All-American in volleyball, and most people look at me when they say, oh, you play volleyball. They like, oh, you must be the setter, <laughs> or you must be the libero, but a libero didn't exist back when I played. So, no, I was a 5'7 at my best days, 5'7 and a half with some, some with soles in my on. shoes. <laughs> Um, and the year that I actually made all American, I made it as a middle blocker, um, our middle blocker blew her knee out and, uh, I was put in that position and yeah. So you got some hops. I do have some hops. Yeah. At that point I had a 30 inch vertical and I was very, um, was very agile and quick and, yeah. uh, so get into position fast, pop up. Yep. Nice. And That's that was division two. So I think that might be an important thing for people that for care some about people. that stuff, right? Yeah. All American. Yeah. Division two. No, that's awesome. So. Well, so, well, let's talk about that for a second because I think that um, athletics shape who we are in so many ways. So what's something when you think about your athletic career um, that has carried with you throughout your life? Well, I think that it's self-discipline. Right. And it's motivation. Um, I laugh because as I have three kids now, um, my daughter's a gymnast, um, 15 year old gymnast. And then my, I have twin boys that are 12, soon to be 13. And I, I laugh because I think about what I would have done different. And so the things I wish I, my parents would have pushed me on, I find myself mm. pushing my daughter on, whether it was, you know, do a little more cardio, train just a little bit harder, push yourself. Um, I'm way more physically fit now than I ever was then. I always laugh and tell a story of when our my track coach, who was my volleyball coach too, would tell us to go run what they called poles, right? Every oh, pole yeah. you pick up your speed and so forth. Mm-hmm. Well, there was a Circle K at the corner of 27th and Deer Valley. I went to Barry Goldwater. I'd just wait for them to come back and I wouldn't <laughs> finish it. But I, that's what not didn't make me as good at the 800. Mm-hmm. Hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, if I could go back and just do it again. So, yeah, isn't it interesting the shortcuts that we take and you, you realize and until you mature a little bit that those shortcuts were actually a problem, mm-hmm. right? You're actually, were shorting yourself, you know, when you're cheating on a, on a workout or cheating at anything, you're, you are the victim of yep. that at the end of the day. hundred percent. Oh gosh. It takes time to figure that out though. So what was your, what was your preferred event of the heptathlon? Um, I loved the hurdles. But I was short, so the hurdles were a lot of work for me. Um, I loved the hurdles. I was really good at the javelin, but at that point, you couldn't throw the javelin in high school. You could right. only throw it at specialty meets, so that didn't always serve me well. <clears throat> well I didn't get to compete in it. Very yeah, so much. how do you get good at it? I mean, that's a very technical discipline. Yeah. How yeah. the heck do you get good at throwing a javelin if you're not throwing a javelin? Exactly. 
And then of course I was a sprinter. So, um, running the 200, I, I liked, um, high jump. I could, have I could give or take the 800. We know why I don't like the 800. <laughs> right? And now the funny thing is I love to run. Yeah. I absolutely love to run, you know, all day long. So. Still, you're still running. I still run. Yeah. I mean, okay. So I know you hurt your back a while, a while back, oh, back. you hurt your back a while back some time yes. ago. You hurt yes. your back some time ago. So how did, well, what did you do to your back? First of all, well, so early on, um, I actually went on to probation and I had fractured my L4-5 vertebrae. Um, I tried to just think like, oh, I just overworked it, but I actually could pinpoint it to exactly when I, when I did it, um, working out, hyperextended on a, on a hang clean and something had popped, but I just thought like this will, this too will pass and, and it didn't. So a month went by, I ended up having a having to have a fusion, um, took me out of the field, quite, quite a setback. You know, you know that how this profession goes, that Mm. it's a grind. And when you're new and being on a truck, you got a lot of things to prove. So I blew my back out. All this, most of the surgeons were, um, saying it was career ending. Like there's no way you can, you can continue to be a firefighter. And, you know, God bless my dad. Cause my dad, and he knew I wasn't going to take that wasn't going to be the answer. So I was fused at L4-5. I still have four screws and two rods in my back and um, had surgery and just was bound and determined. I mean, I went on to have three kids and I'm it's maintenance. Um, yeah. I'm very in tune with my body. I know from that, um, that particular event, um, I know when it hurts. I know what to do. Um, I don't ignore it. I don't use medicine to treat myself. I pay attention to my core. Um, I, I really go seek out all the different things just to, to manage it. Yeah. So, what um, what would you say is one of your kind of staples in as far as uh, uh, longevity and health and wellness when it comes to that type of injury? What do you do? Oh gosh, I would say stretching hmm. and yoga. I love it. I actually just love that we've that's become part of our culture, and we you know they hold some classes and our member services pushes that out for mental health. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, yoga. I, I had a. Some folks on the podcast just a little bit ago from uh, Yoga for First Responders, and it's really when you think about what yoga can do for you physiologically and mentally, like it's a, it is a very total wellness practice, and really I do think there's so much value in it, um, in a, in a very holistic and very total total package um, with movement and breath work, etc. There's so much that you can get out of it. And it's all the, it's all the small muscle fibers, right? You find that when you do yoga and you're doing it right and you're, you're pushing yourself, you know, oftentimes I come out of yoga and I'm like, that was not relaxing. Like, that was supposed to be relaxing. That's not relaxing. Yeah. Um, but you know, just from strengthening your ankles and your wrists and things like that, you mm-hmm. just, uh, you find yourself to be sore in different ways and don't really, I don't think you appreciate the value of flexibility. Um, especially in our job, right? You're caught in different positions. You know, you're never working in the ideal athletic stance. And so, you know, yeah, exactly. those tree poses in yoga really pay <laughs> off. Yeah. The proprioception that you develop, you know, your, the neuromusculature that, and the, the signals that your body sends do well to be tuned up, right? Cause like you said, you're never working in an optimal environment. It's always off camber. It's slippery. It's heavy and all and twisty and all those things uh, need to be developed right when we go to the gym and you work on a single plane yep. you know forward and backwards left and right and it's very uh 
you know, straight up, straight down, controlled, uh, not realistic, not functional. Now you need that base movement yep. to be able to, 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 to expand your capacity, but um, yeah, you got to do other movements. That's what I love about power movements like the clean and jerk, for example. Yep. You know, you are taking a load and dynamically moving it. I think that that's so impressive, or so, not impressive, so so essential to total movement of the body. Correct. Right? Teaching it to work in unison. Um, you'll appreciate this because you're a, you're a thrower. Um, Do you ever hear of the coach? His name is Dan John. Dan John. Sounds a little bit familiar, but you yeah. might have to refresh. He he coached, I believe he coached elite, uh, Olympic athletes, uh, discus throwers specifically. Okay. Discus coach. And uh, one of the things he talks about, which I think is fantastic, he's like, hey, at the beginning of the season, my lifters are not allowed to pick up a discus until they can overhead squat. He was there 225 for 15 reps, which is, we're talking very elite level athletes here. But this idea that struck me was, I'm like, why is an overhead squat relevant to discus throwing and it's the connection between the upper body and the lower body and stability uh in movement you know and i'm like well there you go you have to have that connectivity and and of the systems in order to be able to to throw effectively and uh, makes sense yeah i think it's kind of cool so do you still lift i do i still uh, i do just differently and i think that's what my year spent in PT and my desire to get back to this job um, is what really laid the foundation for me. At that point, too, I was still, I was a coach and I had some really good um, coaches in my life. My, my volleyball coach in high school and my track coach as well as my volleyball coach in college. And so um, I took everything I knew from my own rehab and I always incorporated it you know, into my coaching world and making my athletes, you know, well-rounded and, and all, and doing all the things that we talked about. So I've kind of carried that through my whole career. So I do lift, but I change my routine all the time. I, the funniest thing is right now I have officially been doing CrossFit workouts and I have spent the last five <laughs> years making fun of CrossFitters and talking about how could you pay that much to go to the gym. Um, but I've got a couple people that just got me to try some things and I absolutely can see the reward in it um, and the strength and the different ways it's kind of what, built up my What mind. about it do you like? What changed in your mind? Well, so you talk about HIIT workouts, right? That high intensity, get your heart rate up. Um, I've always known that was good for firefighting, but I think you and I both know that that doesn't totally matter in the, in the positions that we sit. Um, but that's where I'm seeing the most reward from it. Um, is, you know, elevates your heart rate, heart rate. It's a short time. Um, I find myself sore in different ways and, and they're so different. So that's what I like the most about it. And right. I could do it at home without a gym membership. And cause COVID did that, did that to us too. Mm. So that's kind of, do you have a little gym me. at home? Yeah. Very small, like yeah. not a lot of equipment. So yeah, mine, my little gym at home keeps getting filled up with boxes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. I was like, do you guys understand that this part of the garage is a gymnasium? Uh, so I suppose you have a treadmill <laughs> that dries clothes too. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. This is ridiculous. Um, <laughs> nobody respects my space. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, it's ridiculous. So what's, let's talk about coaching for a second. What is something that, uh, when you think about your coaching career, um, what is one of the foundational principles that you espouse to as a coach? 
foundational principles. Well, I wholeheartedly believe that when you're a coach, that it isn't about the sport that you're coaching. I wholeheartedly believe that you are actually teaching them life skills about just who they, you're, you're helping them figure out who they are, um, how deep is their well, um, the mental over the physical piece. And that's always been, that's honest to gosh, always been my focus. And it's, there's nothing, there's been nothing more rewarding than some of my athletes coming back to me saying, I remember, I remember you did this and you know, hindsight's always 2020. And I think about my co- my own coaching career and the things that I took with me and how those people impacted my life. And then where I am today, one of my favorite things to do in the fire service is to mentor. Um, I mentioned before my daughter is a gymnast and I've always had that mindset. And then it was confirmed to me watching her grow up because they're doing the same thing with her. Right. So they're training her, but at the end of the day, they have taught her, um, discipline, um, motivation, commitment, um, perfection. They've taught her all these life skills. So that is actually the foundational piece uh, of my coaching. And I always wanted people to walk away and be a better person, know how to be a teammate, know what it means, um, what to do um, in failure, in losses. Um, all of those things were the pieces that, because um, we were always good. When all of those things started to line up, that's what made you good. I never had the ever had the elite teams. Um, I coached for a club over on the north side. It was North North Valley Juniors um, that doesn't exist anymore. But I never had the biggest, the best, the strongest. But I'll tell you what, we could compete with the best of them. So. Oh, I love that. There's so much to be said for investing in people. And, uh, you know, I think organizationally or even in community or whatever, um, at the end of the day, that's what we, that's what we go back to. And you know, you may not, you're not always going to be an athlete, but you're always going to be a human being. Yeah. And if we can instill and reinforce those good values, good work ethic and, and good and in, good, um, integrity, et cetera, that's, that pays dividends. And we're, you know, you talk about mentoring. It's about, it's about investing in the community yeah. as well. Right. Yeah. So how has that, um, Oh, I had a thought and I just vapor locked. Where'd it go? Oh, it's the best thought ever. <laughs> I was going to get, if I could guess, because I, mm. is that how is, how is it transferred into what I do here? Or? Oh, here's what I was going to ask you. So you, you, you mentioned mentoring, um, on the job. One of the, one of the things you enjoy doing is mentoring. And so you do a lot of mentoring and, and I know that's something that's important to you. And you sit currently as the president of the Valley Women Firefighters mm-hmm. and, um, I have had the distinct honor of speaking uh, to your cast of characters every once in a while and um, really enjoy what you guys are doing. So what are some of the things that, that are part of the mission statement or part of the, the values that you're trying to espouse in that organization? Well, I, they honest, they line up right with coaching, right? Except for we're talking about, these are women that, that want to enter this profession. Um, one of the things we learned, and so if I could just speak to Valley Women's really quick, you know, there's been mentorship our whole career, the whole fire service, there's been mentorship. I did not come on under mentorship, so I wasn't really familiar with what they did or how they did it. But in 2016, we had established the Valley Women's, um, and our number one goal is no women's group. Um, most people know it as Rosie's Ladders was prior, but no women's group ever stuck around. Like it just always, you know, fizzled away. 
and what we've really, our focus has been on, it's not just about mentorship, about, you know, women trying to become firefighters, but it's really about holding on to them through their whole career, giving them a, you know, it's a big sister, little sister, however you want to coin it, right? But it's mentorship throughout their entire profession. Um, I think being a female firefighter is pretty dynamic. Um, I think it's important that we give people outlets and we talk about the unwritten rules and give them every single tool to be successful, whether it's station life, um, interviewing, um, the physical ability to do this job, the dangers with this job, the personal life with this job, because I think the personal life is different for for you and I. And so that's what the Valley Women's has allowed us to do. And again, that I think that goes back to those are my coaching days. That's where I get the most that's just what makes my heart warm and fuzzy is to help other people. And we talk about, it's called Valley women's, but I'll tell you what, um, we love it when, when the, when the men show up, you know, cause it's, I think we turn a lot of people away just based off of our name. Um, but we, it's kind of a come one, come all group. So. Well, I appreciate that. I've always felt welcome. Good. <laughs> when good. I come and visit and, uh, you know, I, I love contributing and giving back to the fire service. And so, when I think about you know my sisters on this job, um, yeah, I want I want them to be successful. I want them to be capable, mm-hmm. right? They're part we're part of this this fraternal organization where we are t- looking out for one another, and I think that's so important. So yeah, why would I why would I not invest in uh, my family? Yep, you know, and and share with them what little I know. <laughs> <laughs> to help yes. them be successful, um, you know. But here's so so. Help me with this. This is something. This is a sensitive and maybe hard question. So, um, but I want you to talk to me about what you perceive as challenges for our sisters in the fire service, and and maybe you know what can we do differently to help mitigate some of those issues. Well, so you see, you see, we Phoenix has always been um, a leader in the fire service for the amount of females that they have on the job, and that magic number seems to be four point two percent. And while that seems pretty low, and when you look at what that number means, so if you have, and these are very rough figures, like these are what I've always known them to be as sixteen hundred members, you know, you're talking about eighty, eighty-two um, that are female. And that number has changed to this day. But um, so we've always done a pretty good job. And I think that the one of the important things that we always talk about with our group is that it's the people that came before um, that have laid the foundation and have grinded it out and have made it better. Because I'll tell you what, where we sit today, um, it's a very good place. I think the, the Phoenix Fire Department does an outstanding job of um, diversity and inclusion. Um, but again, I think as the Valley Women's, that's what we see our mission to be. Our mission is to assure your success and give you the tools. And if you're not successful, it's just probably that you weren't cut out for this job. I think this job is a it's a non-traditional profession. Some people grow up thinking, you know, they chase Big Red and say, oh, I had an encounter with 911. I want to be that someday. Um, but th- our job is very dynamic. And there's a lot of pieces to this that you got to have all of them. You can't just have some or you just won't be successful. I do think that we have a common standard, um, but there's not many of us, so we tend to stick out. So uh, when we don't do well or we have a failure, you know, 
we, we stand out. So sometimes, you know, we have to, we have to learn how to, how to deal with that. We have to learn how to be the only women in the room. We have to um, understand what our place is, what our brothers want from us. You know, I feel like I have many conversations with people about, you know, fire station life. And um, for me growing up in the fire, coming up in the fire service, I knew firsthand that when I walked into a firehouse, it would change the dynamics. There were, there were men in there that weren't quite sure who I was and am I sensitive? Am I thick skinned? Do I got to watch my mouth? Can I cuss? You know, and it took some warming up too. So I, I think you have to understand how to navigate those waters. Um, it's not hard, but you also, I don't think you can ignore it. I think you got to have some real, real transparent, open conversation about it. Do you, did you ever run into resentment? Uh, resentment from who would you say? Uh, just f- folks in the firehouse who maybe were resentful of your being there. Cause, oh, cause I'm going to frame it in the sense that, you know, you said you changed the environment. Do they resent that? I think so. Cause I think it's kind of that locker room. You know, you think of when I hear that, when I think of locker room, I think of a bunch of dudes wrapped in a towel with no shirt on, right? Just got out of the shower, but you put a female in there. Is that the appropriate thing to do? And everybody's kind of looking at each other like, I don't, can we do, mm. oh, do I got to get dressed before? Like, what do I do now? And there was a couple stations I remember vividly roving into 14, 37, um, tiny, small, one pocket door bathroom, right? But there were people that, that was their bathroom, right? Mm. That was the captain's bathroom. And so you just had to figure out, you know, I don't, um, I wouldn't leave my stuff in there. I wouldn't hang my, t- I just kept my stuff, you know, I just tried to let things be as they were. Um, I was, I was the guest for the day. I was usually always the Rover. So it was just those dynamics and figuring people out and, and hoping that people would give me the chance to, to learn about me and, and recognize who I was to, as well. Yeah. When you think about the, the shoulders that you're standing on of the, the sisters who came before you, right? Do you, how do you feel like the times have changed and the, I mean, it, they definitively have right. Um, throughout the American fire service, you know, we have, we have all kinds of gals that are, uh, chiefs now and, and chief of departments, et cetera, like we've risen to every f- filling every role in these organizations. Um, so that's a pretty obvious change, but what are some of the more subtle things that have evolved and changed? Well, it's funny you say that. Cause the one thing I always just think it just blows me away. It's, is that it's 2022 and we still go, the first theme, the first, like we still have so many of the firsts, right? Um, I have my own, right? I was the first named shift commander in the fire department. I mean, like it's 2022, but I guess that's just, you know, where, where we live. So sorry, I had to go off on that side. No, whenever no, I, I hear that, I think of that. No, I appreciate you saying so, that because I think that's, that's been your, it's part of your experience. Yeah. Right. And you know, like you are. We didn't say that yet, but you know, you are the first female shift commander that the city of Phoenix has had. That's amazing. It's wonderful. Yes. And you know, I, so it's right. We're living history right now as it's times are evolving and changing. So I think about, you know, my own daughter who's 20 and, um, the challenges that, or I think she's 21. I'm going to get in trouble. She's 21. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think about the things that, um, that she's facing now that are very different and, and how things have changed. And, you know, we've been on this job now for her lifetime and what has changed in that period of time versus 
you know, I had a conversation with uh, Chief Cockburn under the recently, and we talked about, you know, when she came on the job in 1980, yep. how things have changed since then. And so I was just curious, like, you know, that's a, I think it's really interesting that you say that we're still experiencing these firsts. Yeah. Um, it's mind blowing. It is. And I don't actually, we, we still, I think we still are, um, we're still behind a little bit. Like the playing field is equal because the playing field is equal, right? The standards are the same and there's no shortcuts for anybody. It just is what it is. But there are, there's still some of that, you know, people, you know, you tilt your head to, you know, there's a female or I remember being an engineer and I got that my whole time I was an engineer. I'd get out of the truck and it was like, daddy, look, a girl's driving the truck, you know? And it just became, there were times I'd rove into station nine with like Steve Maldonado and Ben Petrucci and these six foot football looking players. And it looked like they brought their sister to work, you know, it just, I just grew up to just appreciate that and just figured that I have a place I know what my place is. Um, everybody else will soon see it, right? Whether you're going to put me in an attic, I can drive this truck. I can. I just had to. I had to let people figure it out on their own. And I have a. I've always had a motto coming up in the fire service. I might be getting way ahead because this was actually probably this was advice was given to me, mm. and the one of my mottos to live by is, you know, be so good they can't ignore you. Mm-hmm. Just, just be good at what you do and be quiet. And then the, there's nothing left to say, right? You're not trying to prove a point to anybody. You're just trying to be good at what you, your mission is and what you're trying to do. No, I love that. What, what's something that you tell, I'm, I'm guessing it's that, but what's something else that you, what do you share with, with young ladies that are coming on the job to help them be resilient and to know when, what's appropriate, what's not. And I think I would love to hear what you say to them and, um, and then I want to hear what you what you would say to your brothers who need to get their shitting together <laughs> right. and be better. Well, I say three things. So one of them is be so good they can't ignore you. And that usually comes with the premise of you're not doing this for anybody else. You're not trying to prove to anybody you are just going to be good at your job, whether you're a firefighter, a medic you're cleaning the station. Like people should be able to look around and know, Oh, Rita was here. Like she, you do the small things. You don't do anything because you're trying to make somebody else. You're trying to prove a point. So be so good. You can't, they can't ignore you. Um, I always believe if it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you. That lines right up with, um, get used to being comfortable in uncomfortable situations because you, I, I was a Rover for 11 years until I became a captain. Um, uh, every day was a different day, right? So when I was, dr- I was an engineer for five years, um, it was always uncomfortable. You look at the roster, you knew who you were driving for that day and you thought, oh my gosh. So my route to work would be different, right? This captain, I need to know the hundred blocks I need. So my route to work would be making sure I knew, right? I was gathering information. I was going to be good that day. I knew what the expectation was. I paid attention, um, I knew what he was going to want, Dave Sanchez, right? Dave Sanchez, mm-hmm. you needed to know. Right? Get out mm-hmm. there and look at that map before we get rolling. Um, so those are kind of my three um, my three big models I live by. I pass them on because I always talk about, you know, I do a lot of um, 
um, interview prep and people will say, I'm not very good at it. And I said, well, you know, especially growing up being an athlete, well, if you wanted to be a good pitcher, you would go out and pitch, right? If you wanted to be good at anything, you would go and you would do it. So you can't, it can't be an excuse. And oftentimes, um, anything that's hard usually ends up being worth it. You know, you don't see it in the moment, but once you get past it, you're, you're pretty relieved. Yeah. I like that idea, uh, of being so good that they, you, you can't be ignored. It, it just focus on the work, right? <laughs> be a professional and everything, nothing else matters. It's pure beyond reproach. Yep. You know, I think that's really important to recognize It's one of my favorite things is to, is that component of professionalism and what does it take to be a pro? Yep. Right. It's studying game tapes. It's, it's understanding the business and the operational context that you work in and then adapting and being, uh, good and capable in every corner of that endeavor. And if you don't know, ask, if you don't understand, seek knowledge and figure it out. Uh, it's not okay to just sit there ignorantly and, and hope nothing bad happens. Right. Be a student of the game. Yeah, yep. exactly. Exactly. Lifelong learner is not something you just say in an interview. It's right. a real thing. Yeah. People throw <laughs> people throw that out there. I don't think they know what it means. No. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> how many times have I heard that right. thrown out? Right. Um, so let's talk. Let's go back. I'm going to circle back uh, for a minute. So you got on this job. How old were you? I was 28 when I got on the job. Okay. I was 27. It's uh, just, I, I look back now, I'm like, oh, just babies. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Done a bunch though. Um, so you came on this job and uh, you worked your way through the ranks. You firefighter, engineer, captain, um, battalion chief, and now you're deputy chief. As you think about the, the arc of your career, what are, what was some of the points in there? Like, what was the most fun job first of all for you? Oh gosh. Well, I loved being an engineer when I was on a tiller and I was sitting in the back. Like that was by far the coolest. Um, and then I really liked to be, I loved being a captain, right? It was like, it was like your, your firehouse, your people. Uh, but the most influential position I had was PIO, public information officer. That was when all of these little mottos that I told you about, that was when I really learned a lot about myself. I thought I, I thought I had some things figured out. I learned a lot about the organization, um, the politics, the people. Mm. Um, that was by far the most influential place I, I went. Interesting. I never, I wouldn't have thought that actually. Um, but it's, it's, it's one of those, I think it's, there's not a whole lot of people who get the opportunity to experience that. Right. Um, so it's really, it's cool that that was that, uh, an informative and pivotal point for you. What, um, so in your new role as a shift commander, well, here, what keeps you up at night? Uh, I would say, I thought about this question and I thought, well, it depends what avenue, right? But what I'm, uh, what my thought was is that it's a breakdown in communication and hmm. in my role, now that can mean quite a few different things, right? Um, if you want to speak to to the fire ground, uh, we know that you know a breakdown in communication can lead to many catastrophic things in 
it's that snowball, it's the Swiss cheese um, we're in the, we're, when we're in the hazard zone. But the breakdown in communication also for me is um, when I recognize what my, what my job is, right? My job is to protect the people, to protect my bosses, to protect the, the organization and the city. Um, and it feels like when I say that out loud, I feel like it's a lot, it's like a big burden to bear on my shoulders. However, I think it's one of the things that I do well. Like I have no, anybody that knows me knows that if I don't know the answer, I'll find it. I'll research it. I'll, I'm committed to figuring, figuring this out. Um, but I would say that's the biggest thing that I, that keeps me up. And some of that comes from my experience again, from, from the PIO world, right? Um, I was the, I was the front face. I was the delivering a message. I felt like I was speaking for, for chief Kalkbrenner on the things that came out of my, when I was on a mountain rescue, I was speaking for the special operations department and those firefighters on the mountain. And what I said, essentially they see it coming from them. So I took a, that was quite a heavy lift. So I think that that kind of gave me a little bit of a, a little bit of a, a look into that. So, yeah, the, what I hear you talking about is understanding organizational risk, and then understanding how to manage that. Exactly, that's right? a great way to put and it. There's so many layers of that, and, and I think that's interesting because it's you talked about how being a PIO influenced you, and I think that's a large degree what that is is understanding the organization's areas where risk can exist for the organization and for our members, et cetera, and then. In your, in your new role, understanding that you actually have levers to pull to impact that. Yes. So that's a that's a really important component of that is you got to understand what you're dealing with and then you work towards solutions to, to mitigate those problems. And that is, um, you know, next level uh, understanding organizationally. And I think about, you know, the folks, you know, when my perspective when I was in the back seat and how that has evolved, right? I was worried about lunch. Yes. Period. <laughs> this will ruin my day if I don't get to lunch, right? And and so, and so I think it's a mark of of personal maturity. It's organ personal maturity organizationally, and um, you know, understanding that hey, going to lunch is still a very valuable concern. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, uh, an issue to be concerned about. My question is: is how do we? And this is a real, uh, just a very honest question here. How do we help the younger firefighters who are still concerned about what's happening in the backseat of their fire truck put themselves into an organizational context to manage risk at a little bit higher level? That's a really good question. And I think, ex especially because of the generation that we're dealing with nowadays, um, they want to know. They they don't tend to just sit idle and be just okay as the backseat firefighter. If I think one of my goals, and I have a, a a cadre of people on the job that we talk about this often, trying to figure out where it should where it belongs. But if we had this platform that we could actually make stuff accessible, education classes, certifications, that people could chip away. On, on their own time frame, I think you would find that we always have people training for the next, for the next level. They're always thinking about organizational risk and what that means. But, you know, as you know, I think you have to get through a couple different steps in our, in the department, right? Before 
before blinders really come off. You've got to see a couple things. You've got to see the city. You know, we always talk about that. Um, the blinders are on when you're a booter and you, you know, seeing one, a one vision fire in a one vision sense. Um, but I think we could do, we should work on a better way to deliver information so people can kind of continue to grow at their own pace in the organization and not wait for the three and a half, three year mark to be an engineer, a seven and a half year mark to be a captain that you can actually start obtaining this. It's never too early. Yeah. I think, you know, and interestingly, uh, there are so many folks who stay in the back seat, right? Mm -hmm. So it shouldn't be necessarily contingent upon promotion, right? Um, although I think people, the blinders come open because they're promoting and they're exposed to more. So I think it's a matter of, uh, you know, you talked about this a little bit ago, is communication, the information sharing mm -hmm. and saying, hey, we need you to understand X so that you can be more aware um, organizationally, politically, and, uh, you know, when it comes to risk management, uh, what, whatever that might look like, but it makes you more, uh, aware of the vulnerability that we sit in as an organization. Right. Right. So there are things that you don't do and say out in the public spaces because it's inappropriate and sends the wrong message. And our, at every level in the organization, people need to understand that. And, um, and so I think that's where our ability to communicate that down the chain of command is really, really important, yep. right? And getting our, and I think it boils down to, uh, well, it boils down to communication and using the pipeline, chain of command, whatever, to help disseminate that information. Uh, we, we lose that in some places because the message gets diluted. So keeping the message pure and whole and then getting it to the right levels, um, it's, it's challenging, you know, especially in an organization our size. Well, and along with that, I think the communication piece just is, right? It's just constant information dumping and dissemination and it's emails and it's text and it's social media and it's it's all of that stuff. And so we are on overload. I think that's one of our challenges, figuring out how to get people what they need um, when they need it yeah. in a timely fashion. Right. So for all of us and every single, every part of what we do on this job, because mm. it's all important. It really is. Right. It, it, <laughs> to somebody. Yes. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, that's it a great It depends on who's sending the message. Because <laughs> yes. yeah, that's exactly it. So, I think it's important. You think yours is more important. Right. Always. Yes. Uh, so that's the, so that's an interesting point though, is that we have information saturation. So how do you help the guy in the back? The guy in the back seat's like, hey, man, I do not care. If this doesn't have to do with PT and chow, I don't care, right? So, uh, and I'm being, of course, yes. a little bit hyperbolic here. They do care. Um, but you have to make sure that they're getting the right information. So if it is important, it gets down to them and is presented in a way that they'll pay attention to it. Otherwise, it's just noise. You know, the hundreds and hundreds of emails that come pumping through, you know, sifting out what is important and what is not is really hard to do. Um, and, uh, yeah, it just becomes noise. You know, it's so funny. We listened to, I don't know if you were on that call with the, um, the chief of training from New York, um, talking about after their, um, uh, their high rise, their high rise fire where they lost 19, um, citizens in that fire. And one of the questions that somebody asked at the very end. So sometimes you feel like it's just us, right? It's just 
only the Phoenix Fire Department is struggling with this. Mm-hmm. And somebody asked him about how do you get out these tips on training, these one-page documents? And he said, well, sometimes you just always have to dress it up that it's you're talking about a fire when, in fact, it's CMS. <laughs> like, uh, he, he made this comment about, like, how do you get people's attention when everybody has something important to share? Right. And it just kind of made me feel a little bit of normalcy, like, we'll see. New Even York New has York the has same it. struggles. Yeah. 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 It's just an economy of scale. Yes. Theirs is 15 times harder than ours yes. and we don't even realize it. Um, yeah. That's a really important point though, is that these are not struggles that are unique to any one organization, right? Everybody struggles with, well, because of the, the pro- proliferation of media and information, getting, a, getting a, a piece of someone's time is incredibly difficult to do. Yep. Um, you know, we talk about training and we talk about, you know, life stuff and just, you know, people pick up their phone and they're loaded with notifications and information and they're like, wait, what? You want my attention for, for what? Oh, I, hold on. I'm busy looking at a TikTok over here. I am just fully engaged in this um, TikTok challenge, whatever this is. Right. So pe- finding your ways into people's attention uh, is challenging. So yeah, that's yeah. Well, let me know when you figure it out. Okay. Yes. You too. <laughs> Get back to me. <laughs> uh, so that, that keeps me up at night, actually, now that we're talking about that, going back to that question. So let me ask you this as a, as a leader, what is an, is a non-negotiable for you? Oh, well, I think that's kind of, it's kind of a, it's a little bit of a loaded question. I guess I would ask you, what do you, when we, what do you mean? What, what are we talking about? What does it mean to you? <laughs> What are your non-negotiable? Well, I'm going to make the comparison with it's like it's the morals and the values, right? It's what you stand for and who you are. Um, non-negotiable, though. I'll tell you that I think that um, trust and transparency are just the most important pieces to anything working. I mean, um, anything being successful. So whether it's Again, I'll go back to like if we're talking about the hazard zone, if we're talking about on me- the medical calls we run, the meetings we run. Um, I think that's the most important piece. I'm actually not sure. I might have to. I might have to sit on this one for a minute to think about what are my actual non-negotiables. Well, okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna peel back the layer for you, the onion for you just a smidge. You talked about. You just mentioned trust and integrity. I think you said integrity with it. Trust and transparency. Trust and transparency. Sorry. So. That's a, that is a brilliant non-negotiable, right? For you, you're like, no, we are not giving away. We're violating trust. So here's the question. How do we build trust? Hmm. Well, I think it's like talking to your kids, right? You know that you have trust until you don't have trust. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that it's just being honest in what it's being honest in what we do. I actually, to me, it's so simple, honest to gosh. I, I don't even know if I could put it into words. Cause it's like, well, you just do, you know, you just do, you just don't violate it. Um, but it happens and we, we know what it feels like when, when it's violated and we know how hard it is to get back. And we know how a lot of people, the second guessing, um, but I am completely witness to it. Um, in the role that I sit now, right? So I sit as the shift commander. I 
I, I go on calls and I operate at, I operate at this level. I tell, you know, all the guys that are our battalion chiefs, um, on my shift, I said, I'm not here because you needed someone smarter to help you navigate your world of being a chief. I'm here as your support system. I'm here to get things done and I'm here to see our success. But I kind of watch, you know, I watch what goes on. I watch who does what, who doesn't do things, who enforces, who follows through, who communicates. Um, And I think all of those things, you're just kind of filing that away in your file cabinet, right? May not mean much and so forth, but I think that's the stuff that chips away at the trust factor. Um, I don't believe we intentionally ever just outright go, I just don't trust that person. You know, maybe we do. Mm -hmm. I don't, but. Yeah. Well, I, I do think that we hold people at arm's length until they earn their way into the fold. Yep. Um, you know, and so I think that at different levels in the organization that looks differently. Yep. So, you know, I think, uh, to your point, you talked to, you said the word trust and transparency together. And I think you coupled that because transparency is important because if people are holding information, right, that's a violation of that, or that can lead to a violation of trust. Um, and I think when we talk about trying to establish trust in the organization, we have to be a little bit vulnerable ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that that uh, is what cre- is transparency, personal transparency. You know, I think what you, you know, you said like, Hey, I'm not here to make us all, you know, be the smarter one necessarily. That's you being vulnerable yep. and saying, listen, I, I don't have it all figured out. Uh, I'm putting words in your mouth. <laughs> yes, but you're absolutely right. So you, you, know, you say that and you put that out there and you'll, you know, I, I, honor the strength and wisdom and knowledge that you as an individual have. I'm here to support that. And I might have to course correct you at some point because you got a skew or whatever, but that's not to violate you as a human um, at all. It's to support the system as, as, as a whole. So coming in and being vulnerable, I think that establishes some trust as well. Oh, this person's coming in and they're giving me a little bit of who they are and a little bit of themselves. And, um, and, and showing me their belly a little bit, which is, um, uh, a huge, a very important move and, and, and difficult to do for a lot of people, right? It takes taking the ego and setting it aside yes, and saying, listen, I'm your humble servant and I'm here to help and be part of this project together. You know, whatever the project is. Yes. <laughs> you know. Um, but you know, an interesting point, cause we talked about, you know, some challenges of, um, you know, being a female and being in the fire service. And that's one of the things that's been interesting for me is because I, what you see is what you get. I, I tend to, I'm not going to say I wear my emotions on my sleeve cause that's not really true. Cause I can, I could put up a front just like the rest of us. But, um, I, I definitely try to be very forward with where I stand with people and I don't sweat the small stuff. Like if I'm not saying anything, it's probably because it's really not ruffling my feathers, right? But some people goes back to that old saying of, you know, don't mistake my kindness for weakness. I just tend to not put my teeth and do a lot of things that others might. And even sometimes when I do, I call my mentors, right? I phone a friend and I tell them like, oh my gosh, this has got me just spinning. And they'll say, this isn't the one. Don't, mm-hmm. don't bite on this one. Like let this thing go. And so sometimes I think, um, my personality might come across as like, oh, she's just too nice or she's nice all the time. Well, that's just because I don't, I'm not going to sweat the small stuff. I'm not going to lose sleep over things that I can't change or that I can't affect. Or um, I always try not to, um, 
leave things out there that keep me up at night, right? I try to close those, close them out and be right with things. Be very, I'm very intentional with that, that kind of stuff. Mm, I like that. Don't sweat the small stuff. I heard it. I heard a really good saying that goes along with that. It said, um, um, take things with a grain of salt, but make sure your shaker doesn't overflow. <laughs> it's <laughs> one thought, of my weekly I thought lessons. I was going to say, don't sweat the small stuff and don't touch the sweaty stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that too. That's that too. <laughs> okay. I am going to throw some rapid fire questions okay. at you. You ready for this? Ready. All right. What's the worst advice you've received or heard given? I think I already threw it out. <laughs> I don't think I could. I, it was so It was so terrible. I just got rid of it. I can't even tell you what it is. <laughs> I actually don't. I don't know. I'd have to think. Okay. I'd have to think. Okay. Well, let me flip it on you then. What's the best advice you've received or heard given? Oh, well, I... Don't date a fireman. Best advice early on in my career. Um, that was about reputation and laying my foundation here. Um, Say more about that. Uh, don't date a fireman. That he, I think he would. He probably is really proud of who told me that. But that was um, LB Senior. Mm. LB Senior, and then of course Junior backed it up and. Uh, they were kind of my guys coming on the job that introduced me. And they said, in, in LB's way, right, he looked me right in the face and said, don't you dare date a fireman. It was like, yes, sir. I took it wholeheartedly and ran. But um, just an important, you know, I don't know if we're allowed to cuss on here, but that uh, A. you know, shit where you eat kind of thing was was really what that was about. And I know people date all the time, and we've got lots of married firefighters on this job, and it's worked out well for them, but... I just took that to it. I just took that to heart. Um, it played out well. I do share that advice to this very day. Um, I talk about. I just. I usually go back and say, I'd like you to think about some of your past boyfriends and how those relationships work out. And when you can't get rid of somebody, I mean, you break up for a reason. And when you can't get rid of them and they're in your workplace, you know, probably not a good thing. But it works out for some, and that's that's awesome. I just happened to soak that advice up. Yeah. Um, but I would tell you that when you talk about best advice, I think they have to go back. They have to go back to the, the mottos that I live by. I mean, I did not make those things up. Those came from, um, situations that I was in, um, um, the challenges that I was facing and it was people that had said these very things to me and then they came to fruition. So I listened to them and I believed them. Okay. What is an unusual habit you have or an unusual thing you love? Well, everybody always thinks I'm weird because a pig is my favorite animal. Who doesn't love bacon? <laughs> that's, that's not the reason I thought you were going to say, <laughs> but I agree. I do agree. Um, outside of that, uh, I love to clean, but I don't tell people that because then that just makes me a good sea shifter, right? <laughs> so I do. I love, to, I love to clean. So that's probably, I think that's unusual. Yeah, fair enough. So. At least people don't typically admit it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. In the last five years, what's a new behavior or habit you've adopted that has changed or influenced your life? Uh, this is a really good one because 
when I think about it, it actually just makes me smile. So, um, I got baptized when I was, I turned 40 and, uh, that forever changed who I was as a person. But I would say even in the last five years, especially as my kids have grown up, um, I do things with a lot of intention. Um, I spend a lot of time in scripture. I'm, I make time, whether that's my, um, I'm magically, everybody has, a, you ever have a number you see on the clock every day? Well, for me, it's 1111 or 111. I don't miss, it's the weirdest thing, but whether it's just a quick prayer, whether it's reading a scripture, whether it's watching, you know, an online service, it doesn't matter. I always find a way to put it in my day. I don't hold myself to, um, an hour of it. If it's one minute, it's one minute, but I try to be very intentional. And then the other thing is, um, I feel like I've close to mastered work-life balance. Um, I just, I've learned how to, you know, so I, I heard the chancellor of the Maricopa County community colleges, um, give a guest, uh, she was uh, giving a presentation to a woman's event. And this was probably about four years ago. Cause I wasn't a battalion chief yet. And, uh, one of the things she talked about is she talked about the perspective of kids and being a working woman. And there's a part of you, a part of part that hangs over my head a little bit, right? That I'm a woman, I'm the mom. I have duties, the expectations. It's not okay to be gone. It's not okay to work more than, than my husband. And our job allows me not to miss things. And I'm very, very intentional with my work life balance. Um, People comment all the time about, you know, you, you do and you go and you have so much fun, but I've really learned in the last five years how to, how to figure that out and how to navigate that. My kids, like, as you mentioned earlier, our kids have grown up. This is what they know, right? Mom and dad leave every third day and they're used to it. And so, um, we've got, we, we, we don't have it completely figured out, but that's in the last five years, I feel like I've really been chipping away at how to be successful with that. Cause I love work. I'm a little bit of a workaholic. So mm. I, I was shocked. My kids called me a workaholic the other day and I was like, <gasps> what I am <laughs> not. Um, and I think the work life balance thing, that's a really interesting thing. And I'm, I'm happy to hear you say that you achieve balance. That's amazing actually, because you are, um, when I look at m- people around me, I go, Rita's one of the busiest, you know, throwing up air quotes here, the busiest people I know. And I'm always like, how in the heck does she do that? Um, and get so much accomplished. It's amazing to me. So I think that it starts with an honest reflection of, of what we have going on. And really, and this is something we talk about a lot lately in, in my life, uh, is setting boundaries and understanding what that is and how do you set healthy boundaries with something that you, um, feel compelled to do like work and you're like, I got to really, really work. But at the same time, I'm not answering my phone after these hours or when I'm on my day off, it is my day off and I'm going to hold that line. Um, very important to having a healthy work-life balance. And I think the key, the other key word to this is intentional. You need Mm -hmm. to be intentional with what you do. Um, if it's important to you, you'll do it. Right. And so I try not to, I really try not to do the small stuff, but somebody just this morning, I was talking about something that felt like, um, some, they described, they use the analogy of like, it's my life is the, I live in this solar system. Right. And so if you pull one planet out, 
you mess up my whole and I was like that is exactly how sometimes my world can be it can be very dynamic and mm. um that's how I juggle all the balls but um I try to be very careful right because that can affect if you get too caught up in that then it does affect yeah. other yeah, people. Yeah, if one thing comes off axis and your whole world crashes, yeah. man, that's that's a bummer. Yes, like that ain't okay. Exactly. I like to look at it like a, a wheel um, with a hub in the middle and spokes. And it, you know, if those spokes are all perfectly tuned, the wheel is perfectly true and straight. Um, and if you take out one or two spokes, mm -hmm. it gets a tiny bit wobbly, but it still runs. Take out more, the wheel goes completely tacoed and you, it won't run. Um, and so there's there has to be there has to be some slack, yeah. and that's something that I think we all struggle with is putting a little bit of slack in our life so that when a asteroid comes shooting through our solar system, yes. <laughs> we can adapt and not get completely devastated. That's exactly it. Oh man, yes. well that's that is a work in progress, and I think that the most important thing is that we all continue to look at it, be deliberate, deliberate in assessing whether or not we're balanced or not, and being honest with ourselves. Well, and when things go awry and they don't work out or things are feel like they're turning upside down, you got to be able to have some introspection and go, well, how, how much do I play into this? Yeah. Um, so that's, I try to do that. I'm not, not always very good at that, you know, yeah. but, um, I try to be good at that. Yeah. So no, that's the key is to keep coming back to it and working on it. All right. This is supposed to be rapid fire, but I, we started talking. I love that. I love that topic. No, it's my yes. fault. <laughs> So, okay, last question. Uh, as you know, this podcast is titled The Fireground Fitness Podcast. So when you think about Fireground Fit, what does that mean to you? Well, so Fireground Fit, right? Um, physical and mental. But those two things mean different things, right? So I think that um, the physical piece is, is, the, is your physical ability and we're talking our job, right? We're talking about the fire service. So that's your skills, your health, your speed, your efficiency, um, you know, smooth is fast kind of concept. Um, I think it's like your physical, your actual physical being and your ability to do things. Um, I think with the, the mental side of it, uh, fire ground fitness, I think of the tenacity, right? It's, it's the grind. It's, you know, how deep is your well? It's your composure, it's about being calculated. So this is, and when I think of this, I think of it from all different levels, like, cause both of those things exist as a firefighter and both of those things exist for you and I as a deputy, right? Um, it's just however, however we want to, however we want to dish it up. So that's how I see fireground fitness. Nice. Great answer. So if somebody is inspired and wants to reach out to Valley Women's or they want to connect with you in some way, where would they find you on social media? So um, Valley Women's has a website, um, vwfirefightersociety.org. Um, they just got that off. We just actually redid the website. It's really good. Um, we also have social media with Instagram and Facebook, um, VW Firefighter Society. Again, the name tends to lead people away because they think that it's a woman's thing, but it's a foundational place to start. If you're wanting to be a firefighter, if you're on the job looking for how to connect, um, one of the things we do, our e-board, um, two of us are battalion chiefs, or two of us are chiefs, one of us is a captain, so we've got all the different layers in here. Um, Joellen Caldwell is the vice president. She runs EMS, or she's over at EMS and runs the medic program. 
we try to help people connect. So um, whether you're new or whether you're on this job, um, that's what our end goal is. So those are the ways you can track us down. And of course, me personally at email or on the B shift at station 30. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Well, I will link the, an address or link the web address in the show notes. So if you're listening to that, and you want to click on a link, I'll take you there. Or if you can go, of course, you can go to Instagram and do all that stuff. Rita, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate you. Thank you for having me. It's been an honor. I listened to these and now I get to be a part <laughs> of them. So thank you. Right on. That's all we have for today, folks. Thanks so much for tuning in. Rita, thank you for sharing some of your time and talents with us. Folks, if you are enjoying the Fireground Fitness Podcast, get on over to whatever platform it is you enjoy listening on. Subscribe, uh, and this podcast will drop in the middle of the night while you are snuggled up in your whoobie and uh, catching those sweet dreams. Get on over to Apple Podcasts, rate and review the podcast, shoot me an email uh, at raingray at firegroundfitness.com. Your feedback is absolutely invaluable to us making this a better product and to providing some content that you're interested in. In the meantime, get on out there into the world. Take the lessons and the elements that you have gleaned from this conversation, apply them in your life, and go on out there and get some.